You're listening to episode 34. Hey there, Business Generals family. Welcome to another super episode of the Business Generals podcast where I feature amazing guests and I ask in-depth questions about their entrepreneurial journey. You know, my belief is that it doesn't matter how your journey in life started. It's not that important because great or small, the important thing is how you finish. So whatever your situation today, I want you to know that you can get your hopes up, that you are good enough to chase your dreams. In today's show, family, I dig into how it all started for our feature guests, how they have built their brand, and I even get into all the juicy details about their big challenges, their growth moments, and all their big breakthroughs. So it's going to be an amazing show. I actually selfishly started this podcast because I love to hear how entrepreneurs did it, and I wanted to ask the questions for myself. So really... I am the number one student, so get ready for amazing coaching tips, family, to help you maximize your business dreams. Welcome and thank you for joining me here on the Business Journals Podcast, where I chat with amazing entrepreneurs five days a week. Davis Mutawa here, your host. I'm very excited today to bring you our feature guest, Mr. Raj Baska. Raj, are you ready to share your entrepreneurial story? Absolutely, Davis. Can't wait. Awesome. Raj is the co-founder of Hurdler, which is a mobile application that is targeted at entrepreneurs and small business owners to help them bridge the gap between manual spreadsheets and complex small business accounting systems. Raj was also a founder of a real estate rental management platform, a business that he successfully existed about six years ago. So I am really excited to talk more about Raj's story in, uh, in both of those scenarios, Raj. So welcome to the show. Um, but before we dive in, maybe just take 30 seconds and tell us who is Raj outside of business. Ooh, outside of business. I always say I'm the same person inside my house as I am when I walk out the front door. Um, so that, what that really means is I have the, I have one set of values, my personal values. And when I walk out the front door, I apply it to my business. Um, so Roger's Raj. Uh, I'm, I'm just one person. Um, I, I care deeply about family and friends and just how, how we do things in the world. So I cannot justify anything in business. I won't do anything to make money. And uh, relationships are the most important thing. And I, I always take a long-term view. So like my prior venture was 10 years and two months. And I'm already a handful of years in this new venture. And I, I don't look at like, I'm not the type uh, like two, three-year flips. Like that's not... That's not for me. I, you know, I think that works well for a lot of folks. But for me, I like to do long-term value. So you said that you know, my last venture sold a little over six years ago. All the customers and employees are still there after six years of uh, being acquired. So that's something. And that was a 10-year business, right? So going on 16-some years. So um, that's something that I'm really proud of. Um, and I, I think that's more interesting than how much money was made. Yeah. That's very interesting. Um, so you got out of that six years ago, um, or roughly there, but some, what, what are your core um, sort of revenue streams at the moment, would you say? So core revenue streams at the moment uh, for Hurdler uh, are, it's, it's pretty simple, it's mobile SaaS. Um, so it's just software as a service, a uh, small monthly fee. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and that's something that just started. So that's not even... Most of our users don't even have to don't even have to pay, um, and so it's something that in time will get turned on. And I lead with value first, like that's something that just 
that's just something I do in life, whether it's with family and friends or, or in business. Try to help out as much as I can. Uh-huh. Um, so let's go back to your journey with, um, you know, becoming an entrepreneur and starting out for you. How did that come about for you? Did you, you know, get a corporate job before or straight out of college or high school? So for me, uh, there's something, you know, a little bit of thing, something in my blood and a little bit, I think, environment. Um, it goes back, I think part of it, like my, my dad was an entrepreneur. He came out of a village in India, like literally. And then um, in his first job in the, when he came to the U.S. in 1970, he was drying cars at a car wash. And then uh, the owner of a pizza parlor was going through the car wash and thought he was a hard worker and invited him to work at the pizza parlor. And at that time, he said it was the best job in the world because he got free, free pizza and beer. And, uh, but he didn't like cleaning up the place afterwards. So he, I think it's kind of funny, he paid one of his coworkers, even though he wasn't making much money, he paid one of his coworkers to do that part. Uh, so he was, he was into business. And then he did his computer science, uh, master's in computer science at Maryland. And my mom was an Avon lady. Um, uh, that was her first thing. And she eventually got into um, software development as well. Um, many years forward, my dad's business uh, in the 90s, he hit the Inc. 500 three years in a row. Uh, pretty impressive because now I think people are excited about making the Inc. 5000. Um, and he, he had the 500 three years in a row. So for me, I think part of it's in my blood. I was selling candy in school in fifth grade. Um, fifth and sixth grade and I, and I kept moving that up then I moved on to selling sodas at the golf tournaments um, in high school then I had a car detailing business shoveling snow and in the winters um, so I was always running these cash businesses I enjoyed earning money and creating value doing something to earn money but I went to college thinking I was going to be an attorney um, and I graduated uh uh, I actually started off computer science. Um, I was supposed to be an attorney, intellectual properties lawyer, and then um, switched into business uh, after a few semesters, computer science, never looked back and loved it. And I always wanted to work for a startup, um, thinking at some point I'll do my own business. And I worked for a wireless software startup for just about a year when I graduated. And then then I, then I um, got into visual homes, like my prior venture, basically. And never looked back. Um, you know, I worked, I did that for 10 years and then worked for Yardi for almost a year and a half. I wasn't even required to be at Yardi. You know, a lot of times when you do deals, like, uh, some people are required to stay on board for a while. I was not required to stay there for any period. So this is the company that acquired your business, right? Correct. Um, but it was creating value and it was mutual relationship. And so, so, um, I stayed on board and it was fun. Um, but I also wanted to gain the perspective of being an, uh, an employee, um, like a true employee working for another corporation, um, gain that because I hadn't had that in over 10 years. So that was one of the, one of the things that I wanted to do is to do it consciously. It's still a little different. It wasn't exactly the same, right? Because I sold them a business. Um, but there are certainly employee aspects. Um, and that got me reinvigorated again to do another venture. Um, I think Yardi is a great company. It's just I'm a, I'm an entrepreneur, so I've got to be doing my own thing. <laughs> how did um how did the idea come about for Visual Homes, and what was it? So Visual Homes was a real estate management platform for 
specifically for public and affordable housing. So the idea was how do you help uh, local communities thrive through public and affordable housing? How do you help the agencies thrive so that the communities thrive? Really, it was uh, at the core, the technology platform was a financial and compliance management system for housing agencies. The same system could have been used for an apartment building, but the difference is this was regulated housing, so we had to take a lot of housing rules and governance and automate that. So it's pretty complex stuff. And what kind of rules are we talking? Well, rules would be like, so eligibility. Who's uh, allowed to apply for public housing? Are they eligible or do they make too much income? Um, things like that. So to make sure that it's fair and, uh, and appropriate. Um, and, and then there's other, there's just all kinds of things around that. Um, and, and my history really in business anyways, I seem to always just like to do the hard things, right? So if you're in regulated industries or financial and compliance, pretty tough stuff. It is. Yeah. I don't know. So I kind of like that because not too many people want to get into it. It's not very sexy. It's hard work, but I like that. Uh, I like that about it. And I also like that it's long-term stuff. So you have to take a long-term approach. If you take a short-term approach, it's not going to work out. You know, as you say that, you remind me, I, I, I had a role um, in one of the corporations that I worked as a regulatory reporting um, sort of um, manager or whatever, and it was reporting to the banking regulator, and we had this little software piece that the guy who was managing it, you know, for all the big banks, they had this little uh, interface, and, you know, you, sometimes you could hardly reach him, and I was like, wow, this, this is a real niche, but it's, it's regulatory space and nobody really wants to play in that space. And, and here was this one person who had created this mini software, but I think it, it became defunct after they changed the applications. But very interesting. How did the idea come about for you? Well, um, wasn't my idea. Um, <laughs> uh, there was a, a small business um, at the time that was, was already doing this, um, and they had a, an old um, product for small agencies and essentially required the business um, without paying any money up front and um, created a new product uh, and targeted uh, medium to large agencies. Right. How do you acquire without money down? You make a commitment to pay money in the future. Mm -hmm. I didn't have any money, so <laughs> it's pretty... Uh, if there's money required up front, there's nothing to do. Um, yeah. So I just did a little market survey and went and got a big deal and that helped uh, cover it. What was your growth strategy? So I, uh, in that particular business, uh, I looked at the top 500 housing agencies in the U.S., call it the Housing 500, and there are roughly four to 5,000 of them in the country, but I looked at the top 500. And when I say look, I actually cold called all of them and interviewed all of them, the right people. All of them took whole summer. Um, and so I got a lay of the land and set my targets. And then within six months, I got, uh, my first client was major contract, um, half a million dollar contract. And that covered, uh, quite a bit of, uh, of the finances, um, uh, in time. And then just kind of took it from there started building up. Right. So six months to get one client, but it really took you you know, a lot of calling and appointment setting and, I guess, pr presentations. A lot of numbers. Um, and um, in that type of a business, you know, just getting the client in six months and getting a contract 
doesn't get you that revenue in six months. It gets you some revenue. I was able to negotiate half up front, which is pretty rare in that type of industry. But it still took another, um, I think, six to nine months to earn the, re the remainder of the revenue. Mm -hmm. And were you building the platform within the six months? Yeah, most, most of it was already built. So it's just really just uh, enhancing. By you or by the previous owner? No, by me and my team. So how did you fund that? Well, we outsourced initially development to India, kept the cost low, but that's kind of a, uh, a misnomer. You know, you always read that it's so cheap and it seems that way at first, but it takes a while to really get that going. I think it took us a few years to really get it humming along. You're just um, grinding it out, basically. You just have to bootstrap. Um, with you having a business background, how did you navigate across the technical piece? Well, I think it was helpful that I started off in computer science in college. So I did three semesters. Um, and the third semester was data structures. How do you build generic systems and architect them properly? The more important thing, I think, was that in that third semester, I was, you know, halfway through, maybe even earlier, I couldn't handle doing the programs anymore. They were building off of each other every week. And for me, it wasn't something that I was really passionate about or, and I just wasn't, I wasn't able to do it. So I became friends with the top two developers in the class and I was helping them debug their programs and in exchange they gave me a copy of their programs and I would repackage them and, and make them um, look nice or do nice documentation and that's how, I, that's how I did very well in the class. But really... What I came to find out years down the road is that set me, set me up perfectly for running a software business. Very good. So you've, you've built that business at the beginning, and then did you continue with that growth strategy of cold calling um, in order to grow the business from there, or did you have a different strategy? Yeah, it was uh, largely driven by cold calling and demos and long-term relationship building. Uh, and that's what occurred over the first five years, and we kept building up our reputation And the second five years is where growth just took off and kept multiplying every year, just doubling. So, so five years to really get the foundation. Yeah. And I think uh, for entrepreneurs listening in, uh, it depends what type of business you're in. You have to have a realistic outlook. I went in with like a five-year outlook, not a 10-year outlook. Didn't really realize, even though it seems so obvious, that government sales cycles are pretty long. Um, and enter enterprise is long and government enterprise is even longer. And so I think... One thing for listeners to really think about is what market they're in, understand what the sales cycles are like. It's good to be optimistic, but your plans should be pretty realistic, right? And that'll help you do better because for me, I, I realized not too far into it that this is a long-term thing and it takes time. So that's why I took a relationship building approach. It's not about short-term sales. It's not transaction-based. It's relationship building. And what happened in that fifth year that do you think caused that shift? I think we just hit the inflection point. You know, we got, uh, we finally uh, crossed uh, uh, seven, you know, we got seven figures. We hit, you know, hit a million in revenue. And, um, and you start getting a handful of key reference clients, like marquee clients. And that's, that's really what does it. So the referral just keeps growing and compounds on top of each other. Yeah. So, and I talk about that a lot um, where, When you talk about value that you provide to clients, it needs to be a high, such a high value proposition that your clients, that it lends itself to referability. 
your clients feel that they got so much value from you that they want to refer you, right? Because they want to pay you back because you gave them so much. That's where you want to be. You don't want to be, at least for me, I don't feel like I should be where I'm not leaving a dollar on the table even. You know, there's some folks that don't want to leave any money on the table. You know, there's a bigger picture often that's overlooked. It's, you know, it depends, and it depends on the market that you're in, but I like to over deliver on value and, um, you know, clients will reward you for that if you set up the right models. Mm. How did you know that this idea was gonna work or at least what made you persevere during those sort of early time, early days? So, uh, those are two different things. I think, uh, perseverance and so the purpose perseverance part, that's part of my personality. Um, and I think, uh, the other part in terms of referability, I also say it's part of my personality because I want to over deliver on value. So it's not that I knew it would work. It's what happened is that's my personality. And once I saw and noticed that it actually, that it, 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 it's, it works. I also leverage that as, as part of a, a marketing strategy, right? So it, it should work in general with humans. If you're actually, if you're truly friendly and you care about people and you do the right thing, then you're rewarded. I, I just believe in karma. So I don't mean like business rewards, it's just good karma, right? And then if you're in certain markets, that karma, sometimes it turns in, itself into uh, referability or virality, into actual product growth and that's what happened with us and that's what's happening with hurdler really um you know if you look at we have uh 80,000 uber drivers using um the app and it started with just a few thousand that we rounded up because we gave them free uh, and useful tax um information and they referred it out like it's organic growth that um, drivers kept referring to each other because all the drivers needed help. They didn't view each other as competitors. So you got 80,000 on the platform now. Um, so when did that then start off, the hurdler piece of your business? Uh, we put our app in, uh, we made it publicly available um, two August ago, so let's say a little over a year ago. And how long did it take for you to develop? Uh, a couple of years, I'd say, because we built a real-time income tax calculation engine. We built mileage trackers. We built automated financial tracking. We connected with over 15,000 banks and credit cards. So we really connect all the dots. And that was kind of our thesis that modern entrepreneurs want seamless and mobile. And they want everything connected um, versus like, you know, you can go get a mileage tracker separately, an expense tracker uh, all these other things, um, but to really connect the dots and, and give you automated tax stuff because taxes, see taxes actually affect your profit for entrepreneurs, right? Expenses affect your profit and taxes affect your profit. You need to know what you actually have at the end of the day. A lot of times people think they're making money and they're not. And I will say like the bigger problem with that is if when someone thinks they're making a lot of money, they tend to be spending more money than they have. And that's not a good recipe for success. Yeah. And if you're coming from an employee situation where you had your tax withheld and paid over to the government for you, and then you're now working for yourself and you're getting your gross wage pre-tax, 
Um, and if you're not conscious of that, you could actually end up spending it. But obviously, you've got a whole bunch of deductions. So, so take us through some of the benefits of what you've got in Hurdler today. Sure. I mean, the real thing is like the real value proposition is that it provides you a real-time profit. And we call it your true profit. And that's why I say the true profit is after taxes. So if you're an independent professional at 1099, you're a real estate agent or Uber driver or just in charge of your own finances, running your own business, it's basically your earnings, earnings minus or income, basically income minus expenses minus taxes. That's your take-home pay. That's your true profit. Right. So it's like a mini accounting or budgeting tool, right? Not really budgeting, but bit in between. Yeah, it's really uh, your financial snapshot at any given moment. And so that's really the premise. And then there are other things under the core where, so it automatically tracks your mileage. It automatically surfaces uh, valuable tax deductions for you, right? It tells you what your quarterly estimated payments are. How does it track your mileage? Uh, we built uh, automated mileage trackers for Android and iOS. So when someone logs onto their Uber app, it starts to track them, it interfaces? Well, so Uber doesn't offer an API like that, but the way uh, it depends on, like Android, for example, it'll sync with your Bluetooth or it'll go based on speed. So when you go over 10 miles per hour, it'll turn on automatically and then it'll stop automatically as well. And um, same thing for iOS. Um, so there's different methods. And yeah, so it, uh, it tracks that and the tax deductions related to that. The bigger tax deductions are expenses that you have, right? So we let you link our app with uh, over 15,000 different banks and credit cards. Um, and we let you, um, you can tag um, expenses of business will automatically capture those deductions and then our smart algorithms will start taking over and start surfacing deductions for you so you don't miss something that's valuable. Right. That's the bigger thing that's like low-hanging fruit that a lot of folks overlook. Yep. And then, uh, you know, I call it like you don't want to get caught up in celebrity status. You know, there are a lot of celebrities who made millions of dollars and they didn't realize that they don't get to keep it all. Mm. They need to pay some taxes. Mm. Um, so our app will tell you at any given time what your state, uh, federal, or even self-employment taxes. That's pretty clever. So what geographies is it covering at the moment? Currently United States. Um, and then uh, soon we're going to be releasing uh, support for Canada. And then Australia comes down. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So now, so okay, let me just close a loop with your... Um, visual homes. So you've reached the what ten year mark, and you decided to exit. Is that right? What happened there? What happened there is uh, all the stars aligned, and uh, Yardi, the company that acquired us, they have mm-hmm. half of all United States apartment buildings using its software. So they're the leader in the space. And for us, uh, you know, for them, it's a strong vertical acquisition because they were also doing. They have solutions for military housing, senior housing, um, commercial real estate. So they have all the different sectors covered. So this is a strong vertical acquisition for them. Okay. And how was the exit for you? Well, the exit for everybody was excellent. Um, And when I say everyone, uh, for me, um, it's important that employees and customers are taken care of first. And if that aligns well, um, then everybody does well, including myself. Just on that, what was your leadership philosophy? Employees first or customers first? 
Employees first. I think that's an easy answer. <laughs> is this? But every, uh, uh, this is this is recent. I mean, generally you'd hear customers first, customer first, customer wins, right? I think uh, there was probably a time where that's like a really catchy phrase. But anyone running a business with employees would know that the employees service the customers. So if you don't take care of the employees, how in the world will customers come first? Mm. Sure, I agree. Okay, so come back to to Hurdler. Um, how did that idea come about? By the way, on that last topic, that's not to mean that's not to say that customers aren't important. You don't generally have to pick between your employee if you're doing things properly. You don't need to pick between your employee and your customer. But if you take care of your employees, you're in a much better position for them to take care of your customers. Right. So you were very focused on customers. Yeah, I'm a firm believer in customer success. In fact, uh, that was before I was using that term before it became popular, like a decade before it became popular. <laughs> In fact, our customer conference was called Visual Home Success. Yeah, and that was ten. Yeah, that was definitely that was ten years ago. Now, customer success is a whole industry. Very good. Now, talk, talk, tell me about how the app came came up came, comes about. So you started building it while you were still um, running Visual Homes, or completely after? Oh, no, completely after. I like to focus 100%. So when we have visual homes, it's 100% visual homes. Did you have the idea, though, at the like, time? Like, I wasn't even dabbling in hobbies. Like, that's how focused I am. Right. So your brand new idea, or you found it somewhere, someone floated it to you, you co-founded with someone, what happened? Well, I did co-found it with someone. That's my younger brother by nine years. Um, and no, uh, the idea was after... after um, after uh, visual homes and not like a minute after like a little while after okay what made that come about for you i'm sure there were other ideas yeah um so uh, a number of things like so my if i look at so visual homes is a financial and compliance platform at its core and then i looked at the resources that i have available um and that can include people like my brother, even my dad has a master's in computer science. Um, so you look at what you have available and then you just kind of look at the market. And I was doing angel investing for three, four years pretty actively. And, and I look at where my skill sets are. And um, so started building uh, an accounting platform in the cloud and um, one that would be vertical specific and didn't pick the verticals yet. Is you should pick the verticals when you're ready to deploy. I was projecting about two years um, when we'd be ready. And then, right, because if, when we started building, there's no way we would have picked Uber drivers. Um, it wasn't a big market at the time. Um, so, yeah, um, it was basically like that. It wasn't anything too sexy about it. Um, yeah, um, but it, there was a day where it became very clear on what to do. And that was actually after leaving Yardi. What happened then? How did that become clear? It wasn't even during Yardi. There's something that happens like, uh, it's hard to explain, but basically you go to, uh, you know, I had my business for 10 years and two months. That's my family. And you want to see that everybody is succeeding in the transition, like every stakeholder. Because that's, that's what I did my whole life to that point. That was my life's work. Um, and, and that's what I mean when I say I don't care about money like that because that's more reputation, relationships, how, um, 
you know, the, the whole family is taken care of. And that includes customers, not just employees. So the, everyone is, uh, is set. That's what's important. And then I wanted to impart additional value onto Yardi, which I did with some key major things. And, and then, um, I turned, uh, I was turning 35. <laughs> That's pretty much when, uh, just an inflection point that is the Friday, my last day ended up being Friday, um, where that weekend was a ski trip with family and friends for my 35th birthday. <clears throat> and I decided that when I officially turned 35, so it was two days before I turned 35 was that Friday that I need to be a full on entrepreneur again. I can't be working in a corporation. So clarity came a couple months later. And the thing so to explain is like when I'm completely focused on that and then then I left and then you take a little bit of time, just a little bit, um, to kind of clear clear out some heads, start looking at things. And it didn't take very long. We're talking like a week or two. But some yeah, it just becomes you get a lot of clarity. Because I, I just like to focus. I was completely focused on on visual homes at the time before getting into her there. I don't like to dabble in uh, multiple things at the same time. But what about coming up with the Uber driver niche or you're calling it a vertical? Because your app could be used for anybody, right? Well, not anybody, but a lot of other people. Yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, so it can be used by any entrepreneur, any type of business. Um, so, um, yeah, that was... Uh, I think I had hit on that uh, a couple of years ago, basically. Uh, slightly more than two years ago. Um, we had about 25 entrepreneurs from my network um, with different types of businesses. Uh, some solopreneurs, some uh, 500 employees even, just kind of testing out. And I was seeing where the fits were. And uh, one of my, my first pilot user actually was in Denver uh, or Colorado, some part having dinner with a friend late night and um, he, he was uh, using our app and he was picking up the dinner tab and he's telling me the story that he took a picture of the receipt and his friend was asking what he was using and um, uh, he showed him the app, the friend really liked it and his friend says that uh, this would be something very useful for his 3,000 agents. His friend happened to own uh, um, a franchise uh, brokerage of Keller Williams real estate agency and um, so my pilot user uh, sent us this email that late night um, Friday I read it on Saturday morning I saw it and I started looking at that space and when you start looking at real estate agents in 1099 then 1099 Uber drivers started popping up in sharing economy and within a week we were uh, off to the races wow so, so you, you, you solely, not solely, but mainly marketing to Uber drivers um, and real estate agents or just Uber drivers primarily? No, at that time we decided we're doing two in parallel. So this is a couple of years ago to start seeding it. And um, so Uber drivers, we would take a consumer-based approach and real estate agents, we would take an, a more enterprise-based approach. Um, I wanted to get a feel for the lay of the land and go partner with, uh, with a franchise. And we ended up, uh, um, this past August, we made it public that we, we launched our real estate agent version um, with the largest real estate franchise in the world, Keller Williams. Mm -hmm. And so um, 
they have 150,000 real estate agents. So we launched that in August and we're, we're a few months in now. It's going really well. That's great. So, so you talk about monetization and, um, you've said you've just started monetizing that. Uh, is that both on the consumer and the enterprise side? And why have you taken so long? Well, because we wanted to, like, you know, I've been saying I want to deliver value first. So we have to deliver value and get a really good sense for what that value is and that users believe in that value. And then we want to share in that value. Right. And so what point, so do you, are you, are all your users, your 80,000 users um, going to be asked to pay or how are you approaching that? Uh, so that's something we'll be turning on soon. Um, and we actually, we have more than 80,000 users. The 80,000 were just the Uber drivers. Uh huh. So we're in six figures. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's something we'll start rolling out in the new year at some point. We're not in a rush. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> in a rush. That's good. <laughs> yeah. And also like, uh, you know, I want to, we take care of our, our users and early adopters. So, um, there's, uh, they'll be rewarded for, for being early users and for being there at the beginning. No question. Why not? I mean, that's how, that's how we do in, in real life. So I don't see why it would be different in business. Um, if somebody's looking at, they've got an idea for an app, right? Um, what are your, what's your counsel for them to start to think about whether it's, it's a viable app or, you know, how do they bring it? How do they test it and start to maybe work around that? Well, I mean, that's like, okay, that's a loaded question, basically. Uh, it's like saying, if you want to get into business, how do you validate that you should get into business and create a business plan? It's no different. Um, look, with the apps, I mean, there's a million apps out there. So with apps in particular, really any business, I think you need to understand how you're going to acquire your customers. That's where every business fails, customer acquisition. So you have to work backwards. Um, who is your target market? Go get five of them, just five, to validate that they would actually pay for this type of thing. If they wouldn't pay, um, but they would use it for free, then how would you fund this thing? Who who would pay you for it? Um, so I think it's pretty simple. I think most folks, though, where we see failure is uh, people getting too far um, into something and doing the validation at the latest stage. Right. So we talk about like lean startup. Um, yeah, and in my case, like I had certain validations and other things, so I wasn't going for full-on lean startup. And I also had resources from the exit of the previous venture, so it's a slightly different approach. But for someone just getting started, you should use the lean startup methodology and take your minimum viable product to your target market and validate that they would pay for something like this. Would you go just with a, you know? PowerPoint presentation to somebody and say you know, to your five people and say this is what I'm thinking would you pay for this or would you build something before you did that uh, so I don't necessarily think you need any visuals I think you should be able to pitch it in a few sentences and have a conversation Okay. before you even get into visuals if you do get into visuals I mean I don't personally like uh, PowerPoint or Dex but if you want to take it to the next step you could use a prototyping tool like Envision app for example for a mobile app and just show uh, screens on that that you can actually tap on. And it's, it's just going, it's like a deck, but you're just going to different slides from the buttons that you set up. Um, but you should be able to pitch someone verbally because that's how meetings are done. Um, 
So if you can't pitch someone, you know, sometimes people call it your elevator pitch. If you can't pitch and the value prop doesn't stand on its own in like a minute, then I'd question whether you really have something there. Yeah. And you, you're doing a lot of, you know, angel investment that you were saying before. Um, anything exciting that you're seeing? Any, any new trends in the market in that space? I mean, there's all kinds of exciting things. Uh, I'm not as active as I previously was because I'm completely focused on Hurdler. I have all my um, investments there. I think I've done over 40. And uh, I think another five years, um, I'll see a solid portfolio come around. Um, is some of my good, solid performing ones are in um, the loyalty space and then commercial real estate technology. Um, yeah, I go where there's need and where there's value. That's, that's what I tend to invest in, um, where those things are clear to me versus like consumer related stuff that might blow up, you know, free type models. I'm not the type of person who can figure out what's the next Facebook of the world. It's not me, but I know there's folks out there that can. And I go for more like things that are like, that people will pay for. Mm. All right. I want to, I want to pivot a little bit and, um, you know, bring this to, to, to wrap this up and I'll, you know, a couple of quick questions. Uh, um, so I'll get you to just give me some quick responses here, Raj, if you can. Um, uh, first one is give me a quick look into what a day in your life looked like when you started your business, maybe when you started visual homes versus what your a day in your life looks like today. The only difference between then and now is I'm married with a, with a nine month old. That time I was single. So, uh, that's pretty much the only difference. I'm waking up in a, an apartment versus waking up in a house with the, with the baby telling me to wake up. <laughs> so the, the day is exactly the same. I get up and, and, uh, I already have my clear plan, uh, for, for what I was going to do during the day. And I, tend to mostly get that stuff done and then all kinds of other things pop up which is built into my plan and I try to get those done as well and enjoy it like you gotta enjoy your day while you're doing it um so that's it's pretty simple I don't know if you want to get into details of like what I eat or anything like that but I tend to eat a lot uh work out quite a bit um so try to keep higher energy all the way around um and yeah pretty focused on work so I'm not, you know, when people talk about work-life balance, for, you know, for me, work is life. Life is work. Uh, it's pretty simple. That's the balance. Yeah. Do as much as you can. It's all balanced together for you that, that way. That's great. Um, what about books? Um, what, what are two great reads that you would recommend for entrepreneurs? That's an easy one. Uh, the first one is The One Thing. Um, that's by Gary Keller and Jay Papazan. Um, very simple concept that most people just don't follow and I think they should um, and then the second one also by Gary Keller and Jay Papasan it's a little bit more complex it's called The Millionaire Real Estate Agent um, and that has models on how a real estate agent can create a business from scratch become earn 1 million in gross commission income in a year and then start multiplying that and I love both books. They're two different books. One is about focusing on whatever your one thing is and how to identify what it is. The second is focused on models and how to leverage those models to create your successful business. It is about real estate models, but when I was reading it the first time, 
it kept reminding me of things I did in visual homes to scale that business, even though I wasn't a real estate agent. And so I find it very interesting from a business perspective um, because you can, you can apply those models to any type of business. It really, it really shows you like what kind of numbers are really needed to generate sales. How many leads do you have to have? What does that funnel look like? That's the reality. Um, I think you can apply that to so many different types of business. Um, so I like those two in combination. Um, I love those before I even partnered with Keller Williams. So. Yeah. Well, that's good. Thanks for sharing that. Um, what about um, a little bit about some of the philosophy that you follow in life? How would you rank the following? Faith, fun, family, finances, friendships. Family, friendships, finances, and in parallel is fun with those three. So I left faith out. I'm more of a spiritual guy. So I just, I go by values. I have the same set of values, like I said earlier. Um, and so I'm not that religious. I'm not opposed to religion. I mean, I'm, I'm happy with everyone's religion and um, I'll go do whatever my wife wants me to do. Um, but I'm not like, you know, I'm not overly into it. Um, but I do carry myself properly and I think that's important. Um, so I'm not, like, I don't need to go, I don't feel the need to go to, like, a temple and uh, um, to regret things that I've done because I try to do everything properly. I don't do any, um, you know, I don't feel like I need to seek forgiveness because I don't do bad stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's pretty simple. Uh, family, family, friends, and finances, and fun. All three of those are fun for me. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. That's good. Um, do you invest in mentors? And if yes, why? Yes, absolutely. Um, and I think I should be doing more. Um, I don't think there's anything I've done really like on my own per se. I was created by my folks um, and different things in life affect however you, however you go on and then uh, to really excel. Like you can learn so many things on your own, but you need, you've had mentors along the way, whether you're taught in school and other things. So, um, I think it's important to do that. And it's, it's not different than in sports. People have coaches, um, can achieve certain levels Mm. without a coach. That's great. Well, really appreciate you, man. Um, before I ask my last question, I just want to acknowledge you for, coming on to to the show here for sharing all that wisdom and for giving us a bit of an insight into into your journey as an entrepreneur and you know for all the lives that you're transforming you know all the thousands and thousands of uh, entrepreneurs out there uber drivers consultants who are relying on on the work that you guys are, are, are putting out into the marketplace so really grateful for all that you're doing um and now for the last question, Raj, when all is said and done, um, do you think about legacy? And if so, what do you want to leave and be remembered for? Tell us why. Hmm. I hadn't thought too much about legacy. Uh, I guess uh, it's interesting because I'm more of a private guy. Like I don't like my finances to be out there. Like I want to create successful, successful venture. And here my motivation, like nothing financially is going to change my life because I just like to live a certain way and I don't care for outward stuff, um, like showing off or anything. 
Um, but one of my motivators is I have a lot of young, young people on my team and it will change their life. <laughs> so that's, that's one of my motivators. Uh, I want it, uh, I want them to have that. Uh, and I will work my ass off for that. Um, but I am a new dad now for nine months. So, um, I think for me, it's about the, the right values and entrepreneurship. So I feel like I've come from a family of entrepreneurs and I want that to be, um, that hustle and creating something from nothing. Um, I want that to carry through to future generations, to my kids. Um, and you know, I don't, you know, they don't have to be entrepreneurs. I think it's likely that they, they probably would be. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, uh, I think the values are more important. Like I think, um, you know, just, you have to have the right values. You can't justify anything for money. Like you can't do wrong by people just to make money. <clears throat> right. And that's not, that's something that I think is important. So I think, um, I think ultimately, you know, what becomes of my, my kid or if I have, if we're able to have future kids, like, I think that's a, an important part of it. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, that brings us to the end of the show. So ladies and gentlemen, you know, thank you for hanging out with me and Raj today. Hope you had as much fun as I did. And as I always say, I hope you actually got your hopes up that um, you are good enough to chase your dreams. Um, remember to head on over to businessjournals.com for all the show notes, just type in Raj, that's R-A-J, and uh, all the stuff we talked about today will come up and you can, you know, we'll link through that with all the information there. And you can check out Raj at hurdler.com, H-U-R-D-L-R.com. Uh, we'll put that up in the show notes as well. Raj, thank you very much for being on the Business Journals podcast today and for sharing your story with us. For that, we're grateful you are a true business general. Thank you, Davis. I really appreciate you having me on board and taking the time. Hey, what's up, Business Journals family? Thank you for joining me and for listening to the Business Journals podcast. Connect with me at Davis Mutabwa. That's D-A-V-I-S-M-U-T-A-B-W-A. Connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, and you can certainly find me at our podcast blog, businessjournals.com. And while you're there, remember to access all the show notes, a ton of free resources, killer training, and so much more. Love you guys. Thank you for joining me. Ciao.